You are tuned in to Talking Heads, a new podcast about electronic music with me, Arno, hosting the show. If you want to find out more about me, just go to www.arno.wtf. In this podcast series, I will invite some of my favorite artists to talk about their history, how they got into this whole thing, how they approach DJing, producing or running a label or all at the same time and hopefully find out more. For the second episode, I'm happy to welcome one of the most dedicated, well-respected and without a doubt best DJs on the circuit. He's been around since the early days and still remains relevant after more than two decades. He's running Raummusik, one of the most important labels on the scene and I'm very happy he took his time today to join me, Dorian Pike. Welcome Dorian Pike. Hello Arno. It's very nice that you take the time to come here for my podcast. It's an honor for me and a big joy, as you are not only a good friend, but also one of my favorite DJs for many years. So thank you for coming. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Uh, also, it has been a while since we last saw us. So <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good opportunity. That's true. I think we have to find new ways to meet each other <laughs> yeah. without the parties. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you are definitely... Uh, proper old school DJ. So I would like for the people that maybe don't know about your history, I would like to go all the way back. Do you remember when you saw a DJ for the first time where you thought like, wow, this is something maybe I would like to do or? Mm, yeah, I mean, um, I, I remember, I think I was mm, 16 or something like this. And uh, my parents, they always used to go out a lot as well to parties. Yeah. And um, they, we were in uh, Los Angeles and um, it was like some, some big rave um, and uh, they took me. I was 16, so I went like with my parents. It was really like um, very interesting um, to, to watch the DJs because I was allowed to, to like go in the, in the DJ booth and, uh, and uh, like not, not for a long time, just to, to see it for a little bit. And I was quite fascinated by this. And I think it was uh, Doc Martin actually okay. playing that yeah. night. Mm. Nice. And I, so it was like an illegal party, or how did you even manage to get in? Because I, think I remember they were illegal. They were in downtown Los Angeles, and they did like it was uh, organized by a friend of my parents. And um, yeah, this was short shortly before um, shortly before I discovered electronic music myself I think to I mean electronic music meaning house and techno because I started like in the early 90s like around 91 I think I got like my first tapes and stuff with with this kind of music and so it was a bit before that so it was like the really early warehouse rave yeah. parties in the late 80s early 90s uh. You, you got the first tapes and then you just how it started with your interest and when did you want to find out more when was it then you that you started DJing yourself mm, well actually then later when I started going out in in Frankfurt um, then I I was introduced by a friend um, to the owners of um, embargo of the embargo shop um, 
which they also had one location in, in the Dorian Gray Club in Frankfurt Airport. And this was um, the first place where, where I started working in a record shop and also started um, DJing, kind of. Uh, this was in 92. Uh, 92. Mm -hmm. What kind of music was the music you were interested back then? Was it housey already, or was no, it more? no, no? In this in this period, it was like full on um, hardcore techno from the likes of PCP, The Mover, this kind of stuff. I actually was uh, was uh, quite uh, good friends with with The Mover at that time, and he was also the first one to to um, give me like um, a bunch of records, I think like 20 or 30 records, like all the hot PCP releases from yeah. this time because they also had a, had a distribution. So they were importing like all the stuff that was coming from, from Belgium. And yeah. Um, yeah, that was quite interesting at that time. So um, yeah, I started working in, in their record shop and um, yeah, they, they also, influenced me during this this period yeah do you still remember your first gig when was that and my where? first gig was in uh, frankfurt together with a friend of mine we were playing in uh, music hall was the name of the club oh yeah that i went to a snap concert once <laughs> yeah. i was a little bit too young was a concert location as well um but The, uh, as a club, it was also very nice. They had a they had a really really good sound system for those for those times, and um, an incredible laser show, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So> proper <laughs> proper nineties stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. But it it was it was it was fun. Yeah, I was playing there with a friend of mine and his brother. That was definitely a bit more famous at that time in in the Frankfurt area. Uh, he invited us and they let us do the like the warm up of the of the night. Oh. Yeah, and how old have you been there? Um, I think eighteen. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we met at working at Freebase Records, right? At Freebase, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember I was still working in the drum and bass basement, and I would always come upstairs and then I was like, oh, mm, there's some nice stuff going on. And I was like fully involved within the Frankfurt drum bass scene, like organizing parties mm -hmm. and everything. And then I will never forget, like you were the one who like, yeah, why don't you come here? I play at this party. I was like, yeah, okay. And then I went to this party. I was like, mm, okay, this is, <laughs> this is how you do it. <laughs> Because I mean, I, I love drum bass very much. And there's, mm. of course it's, uh, there's, there's still nice stuff going on, but the parties for us was always like, The people showed up very late, like it's common. And then they went like totally crazy. I mean, the music is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. So they went like totally crazy. And at like five, five thirty, it was like, okay, more or less, more or less done. <laughs> and so then I went with you. I don't know if it was Robert Johnson or another party. And the, the vibe was like getting better and better and better. And then it was like 9.30 in the morning. And it's like a, maybe like a sudden change in the track and everybody like goes crazy at the same time. I was mm -hmm. like, ah, I, th ah, I think <laughs> I like this very much. <laughs> no, but also those were really like the, the proper times of Frankfurt nightlife. I mean, there was a first period in the late 80s, uh, early 90s, <clears throat> like with all the clubs like The Omen, Dorian Gray, XS. Um, we had quite a few clubs actually um, 
all coexisting at that time. Yeah. And um, then, yeah, the time you are referring to, I think, was more like the, the second wave. Um, but also there were like several clubs. We had Monza, we had Robert Johnson, um, then Cocoon Club later opened. Besides this, there also were some other like one-off parties or parties in other locations. So um, there was actually quite a quite a lot of things going on in yeah. Frankfurt at that time. Yeah. yeah, I made quite a big jump now with this story. So maybe we go a little bit um, back again. So you had your first gig in, at the music hall mm -hmm. and then how things went on for you. What was like the next big step for you or how did you... Already back then you, you thought like becoming a proper touring DJ could be something you want to try to go for or was it still more like your passion and... Mm, well, at that, at that stage, I think, or at that time, I think it was definitely more like a dream, you know, because um, until I could finally live from it, um, I think it took another 15 or 16 years, something yeah. like this. So in the, in the first years, um, I was just like, yeah, it was my passion, it was like my hobby. I was really into it, like always mixing at home and recording tapes and, and stuff like this. But of course it was more like a dream uh, or, or like a goal that I wanted to achieve. And um, yeah, so I was always like um, keeping the connection with music and buying records and more and more getting into this this environment uh, of, of the party scene in Frankfurt, like connecting myself with promoters, with, yeah, with, people with clubbers and yeah which is also important and then um, I started yeah working at this uh, at this record shop in the Dorian Gray airport so um, for I think minimum two years or maybe even a bit longer I was there like every Saturday working until the end of the late shift mm -hmm. and it was um, like a proper after-hour club. So the, basically the cool people started going there Sunday morning after five, you know, when yeah. all the other clubs were like basically closing, then everybody went to the airport from all the clubs like surrounding Frankfurt or the cities that are close to Frankfurt. So this was really like the, the late shift. And then sometimes the place closed, I don't know, at two in the afternoon or yeah. which was quite rare at that time yeah. to have parties that go on for so long yeah exactly yeah. and um, what what were the next steps like DJ wise where would what were, were the stations in Frankfurt that were magnificent to your mm, DJ well upbringing? after this time mm -mm, I was I was playing a lot in all kinds of parties you know just occasions that that came up And then I think um, my first residency kind of also was then at the at the Dorian Gray Club uh, in yeah. in various in various places. Um, they had like a smaller club. There I used to play more often, but um, then I also played like in. They had like several um, stages or or, or several locations inside the club so after a while i played more or less in all of them 
in the big club I only played on Friday I think and never on Saturday Saturday was actually like the the hot day the cool day yeah um so um yeah but this was like my first residency and that was which year uh they closed I think in 97 or 98 yeah and um after that I played at U60 a couple of times. So, and the Dorian Gray, musically, it was already full on techno at that point, or it was still like mixed kind mm, of? Not really. Dorian Gray never was really like a techno club, unless maybe some, some like guest DJs were playing, but also from the, <clears throat> from the ambience of the club or from the location itself, it was a bit more like a... Um, Yeah, it was like a proper club, so it was not really like the place for really, really driving dark techno. And yeah. at this time, I think, yeah, it was definitely the, the period of trance, so mm -hmm. uh, it was very popular for, for trance and uh, the sound system. I mean, I will never forget the first time I, I went there, um, the sound system just blew me away. I think it was until today one of the best sound systems I ever heard. Um, when, I, when I entered this place, I will never forget it. It was constructed by Steve Dash, mm -hmm. the guy that also later built the Cocoon Club. And I think he did the sound for several clubs in New York in the, in the mid-80s. Mm. So, um, and uh, this was really, really, like for, for this time, was really impressive sound system. Mm. Yeah. Um, these days, I mean, I think you are a very versatile DJ that can adapt to any situation or time. But still, I would consider you a house DJ. Definitely. And, um, Definitely. When when did it change your sound, or when did it shift it? Because you said you played like more like straight techno at the time. So when? Well, was this that? was this was in the beginning. Then, of course, uh, I also got a little bit into into other stuff, like more music coming from UK, uh, uh, label like Hard Hands, and for example, or, or stuff like this. That was kind of like trancey house that was not so fast like the the trance that was coming from frankfurt like all these iq records and stuff like this if you listen to them today there are some of them are like i think close to 140 bpm or something yeah so it's really like up tempo but um the other they had more like a housey approach like from the beats but they also had um, like melodies or like some a bit more sounds and I think <clears throat> my perception in general musical perception got another big change when I went to Ibiza for the first time in 95 mm -hmm. I went with a friend of mine we went like for 10 days and this was really like for me a big 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 um, change or, or influence because um, I saw these huge, massive places uh, full of people and everybody was like completely going crazy and nuts and, and the music was just house, you know, like, I don't know, could even be something like Nightcrawlers, you know, mm -hmm. of course, uh, this was not like a hot track, you know, but <laughs> stuff like this. And, and so this really, really um, influenced me and and and... I did. I could never ever really connect so much after that, like with 
really hard techno. I mean, I like techno at some point when it's a festival or for certain moments, but I definitely prefer more like groove or also music that is not like super mega fast, you know. I mean, of course, when the room is bigger, um, you also yeah. have to bring a bit more energy. Yeah. But um, I don't know, for me, for me, this was really a, a big experience. And um, yeah, I was I was very happy that that I experienced this. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel like that certain DJs when they get to play bigger crowds, that they change their music, and because they think that maybe people need a certain kind of energy. And I mean, of course, there's music for like a small little club, and there's music that works better at a festival, but. Why do you think that some people don't just stick to their original stuff and change so much? Also, like sometimes the music gets have not cheap, maybe, but a little bit just screaming for reaction, you know. And also now all these DJs with their with these little pioneer boxes with their fake <laughs> snare rolls and stuff it's i think it's a little bit of a vicious circle because one starts with it and then of course you get like a, a quick reaction but it's like a pretty fake reaction because mm. it's, it's not real it's not even meant to be in the track so and then i think you're also training people to just do these cheap fake um, reactions what do you think where, where is this coming from and what do you think about it mm, i think maybe it comes with a with a certain size of the venue or also with a certain level of um, popularity you know because there are not so many djs that really take risks or that have like also the balls basically to to play like the opposite of of what is what might be expected you yeah. know <laughs> and uh, i think it also takes a lot of um a lot of self-confidence and um yeah also a lot of of strength to to kind of ignore the dance floor in a way and really try to to get through with your with your musical vision or with with your concept you know and um, I think or I saw a lot of people when they became really popular and when they started playing only like in bigger venues and bigger venues and bigger venues and when more money got involved then um, I think you could really see like with a couple of DJs that they kind of lost a bit the, the connection for, with, the, with their base where they originally came from, you know. I mean, it's okay to, to evolve or to develop in, in some way. Um, but I think also in, in, in another way, you should always try to, to stick with your, with your roots a bit in a way. Or with the sound that I don't know that yeah that you that you really feel yeah, yeah that is something that I sometimes am wondering if these guys really still feel the music like they like they did because some yeah they come from and they got known for like a very nice groovy sound and then change all, all of a sudden and sometimes I'm wondering okay is this like do you change your taste that much or is it you just like what works then in the end i mean i don't know <laughs> but when you what you what you just said to have the guts one things i i also learned from you are 
saw already like a few times when you playing when before you was some kind of like okay attention guys now comes the big drop kind of style, <laughs> style going on <laughs> and then you started and you emptied the dance floor for a little bit mm -hmm. because then the guys were like hey, okay where's the, drum, where's the drum roll guys come on <laughs> But then, like, I, I will never forget, I think it was in Barcelona once, it was, you played like the second floor, and we thought it was like crazy, like really, pff, yeah, just like attention guys, now, now the party's rocking. And then you came and you just started with some, just grooves, basically. And in the beginning, people were like, yeah, pff, okay, whatever, like empty the dance floor like a little bit, and just your friends, we were there. 40 minutes later, the party was five times better, like crazy vibes, everybody dancing, everybody <laughs> smiling. And it was like, okay, wow, this is so different because it's not like people like, okay, now comes the drop. But it was like a steady thing with eyes closed and just like, a, yeah, that showed me again the flow and the groove. It can be so much more important than just like, yeah, these bangers somehow. Yeah, no, so, I, I think you, you always have to, um, first of all, you have to, Connect yourself with the with the situation that you find yourself in, and um, yeah, then I think it's also important to build up something. And I think there's nothing nothing worse than a half empty room, maybe, and then somebody's playing like super driving, mm, hard or harsh music, you know. I mean, what's the point, you know? Or you want to welcome <laughs> welcome the people like this, you know? It's like, mm, and so, yeah, I think it's the most important is always to, to connect with the situation and then choosing from, from what you brought or, or from the selection that you have, trying to, to just adapt to this situation. Yeah, I think that's what, what it's about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know that you always prepare very well for gigs usually can mm. you can you let us know a little bit about your process maybe you know the weekend let's say you have like a very special gig for you maybe with DJs that you really like in the location that you really like or something where you know okay all the cool kids gonna be at the party or what, or just like an important mm. gig for you or maybe even for a weekend where you have like two or three gigs in completely mm. different scenarios mm. Well, um, I think, let's say for a weekend with, um, with more gigs or with very different gigs, I always try to, to make a selection that, um, that you can play in, in, different, um, yeah, in different venues, you know, and where I still know they will work, you know. And then you have to find a, like, kind of like a compromise, you know. That, that maybe you, you, you find like some records or some stuff that might even work in all three situations, you know, mm -hmm. or in all two situations. And then um, still I try, I always try to take some records just for the, for the particular, um, for the particular situation. And in general, I always, I mean, when I was, <clears throat> Or when I was playing, um, I basically packed for every weekend the records new. I never really took like the same bag. I mean, you have some records that you always like, at least for a certain period, or some classics. But in general, I think nowadays even more with 
with YouTube and with, with all the videos and handies in the parties and stuff like this, um, you really have to change your records also because otherwise if you go online and you look for the name of for names of some bigger DJs and then you find like five videos of <laughs> different parties and in all parties it's the same track. And for some funny reason, then then these kind of DJs, they always only get filmed <laughs> for one track. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, you know. So then that's a bit, that's a bit, yeah. I mean, I I always, my, my aim also was um, always to surprise people a bit, you know, in a way. So um, for this, I mean, I was listening to music at home a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. But what I never did at home, mixing. This I really stopped at some point. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I noticed <clears throat> when I'm, because I was totally mixing addicted, you know, and like mixing like crazy during the week at home. But um, at some point I really noticed then you are in the club, you are playing and, and then all your inspiration is already gone during the week with these records, you know. So I kind of like killed the records already during the week, just going through my new records. And so at some point I really stopped. And then I noticed for myself, I mean, maybe for other people it's different. I noticed for myself the most important is that I really know the record, that I know how it starts, what are the breaks more or less, and what maybe might be a good a good part in the track to to mix it, even though sometimes I really like to mix in the part where in the part where a lot of stuff is going on, because then you really get like a lot of dynamics. Um, but of course, the records really have to fit well together yeah. because otherwise it's like chaotic. It gets so you chaotic. you basically you would if you buy new records or you go through your your bag for the weekend you would just. During the week, you listen, listen to, to them over, over and over, and over, over and over again. So until a point where I kind of like have them in my head. Of course, nowadays is <laughs> a bit more <laughs> difficult, I would say, <laughs> because <laughs> there are not so many hook lines and like uh, really like uh, uh, how you say like elements or, or stuff that is really like standing out, you know. But um, yeah, that you. That that you know what kind of feeling the record has and what might be a good moment to play it, I think. This, yeah. is, this is important, I think. And how did your behavior change when it comes to buying music um, in terms of digital and vinyl? I mean, when you started, there was no digital music to buy. So you come from a 100% vinyl, vinyl background. Vinyl culture, yeah. And, but, but I then, guess till now. Mm -hmm. But then I have to say when when uh, the CDJs became popular and then I also have to th also have to say um, Robert Johnson was a club they had it from the very beginning so um, I was quite happy actually to to get a chance to connect myself so early or quite fast with the with the CDJs but um, Unless I found myself in a situation where it's just not possible to play vinyl because in many, many places or many, many clubs, it's just not possible anymore. And this is very frustrating, especially if you, if you pack records like every week yeah. and you come to a club and you cannot play like one record. <laughs> so um, I was happy to, to get the chance to, to make the connection for myself 
quite early. And then I also got a lot into like digital stuff, edits from friends. Um, and like, yeah, just to have stuff that nobody else has, you know. Um, but I never made the switch to to become like a full digital DJ. Yeah. Even with more traveling or with, with more stuff. I mean, okay, um, in some countries or in some places, <laughs> basically you can just leave the records at home, you know, because you will just um, get, an get annoyed or um, frustrated um, because either the needles are jumping or you get a feedback from from the monitors or all kinds of stuff, yeah. you know. Um, but therefore, I'm also professional enough to always have like a plan B because many, many times um, it's also like that you have this perfect concept, you know, like what you want to play and oh, I have this and this records and this and that. And then you arrive to the club and you cannot play one record, you know, and then you really have to improvise. And I think there you can really see the skills of a DJ, you know, when it comes to improvisation or when, um, when maybe you are a bit more like forced out of your comfort zone or something like this. I think there you can really tell the skills of a, of a proper DJ. Yeah. Do you think... DJs in 20 years will still play vinyl? I think so, yeah. I What? think so. I mean, because look, until nowadays, you know, when the CD came out and everybody was like, oh yeah, that's the end and ciao vinyl, you know, and all <laughs> the big bands, they just produced uh, uh, CDs and stuff. And then after a while, like, especially like for rock music and stuff like this, all these guys came back to vinyl, you know, and, and everybody was like, uh, okay, no, uh, vinyl is, is the real deal, you know, yeah. and, and I think this is cool because for me, like growing up with this, <laughs> with this vinyl culture, I think I got my first record, I don't know, I think maybe like for my eighth birthday or something was like a, an album from Kiss, you know, and it was like, wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> what is this? I was just like always freaking out, looking at the cover, you know, and these guys with the makeup and was, um, was yeah, it was very, very um, impressive for me as a kid, you know, yeah. and still I'm into this. Okay, nowadays, because you asked me about my, my uh, habits of buying music, I still buy vinyl. And I mean, I have a lot of records already. How many records do you have, more or less? I really cannot tell. I mean, mm, I think what I have in the apartment by now is around 8,000. Mm -hmm. Then I lost some that I had in the basement due to this mm. flooding of my basement yeah, yeah. <laughs> some years ago. And also I left a certain part in Frankfurt in the studio of uh, Catch of our mutual friend <laughs> yeah that's that's a funny story because yeah i was sharing the studio back in frankfurt with our friend dj catch hello catch and dorian left a bunch of records there 
and he told to catch like okay these records you can just whatever throw them away i don't care and i was there and then catch was like yeah here the old records from dorian i was like what old records from dorian okay i take them i took them i thought like it's old records from dorian so i should have known maybe if dorian gets, gets rid of these records it is you, for some reason you, you can leave them in the basement but i took them i was like oh, for sure there must be something and till now i didn't find anything I have to be completely yeah, but, honest. but good that you took them <laughs> No, I no. took a bunch, like yeah. two, two boxes. <laughs> I, I thought, like, for sure. But then afterwards, I thought, like, okay, if this guy leaves the records, man, you can be pretty, <laughs> you can be pretty sure there's no, nothing to find No, no. With this, with this moving to Berlin, it was really like a question of of having space at some point. And also, as my girlfriend at that time, Vera, she was also a DJ, and moving with two collections. I will never forget, we had this, this huge truck, like one of the biggest trucks that you can basically <laughs> get. And like literally half of the truck was from the bottom to the ceiling packed with boxes of records. This was 100 something, like 100 something boxes with, I would say minimum between 60 and 80 <laughs> records inside you know so i will never forget the, the guys from the moving company <laughs> because we were living in the top in the top floor in frankfurt they arrived and and i, I was looking down <laughs> and i saw them and they were still like ah let's have a quick cigarette before we start with the moving you know <laughs> and when they were finished the the guy just told me like hey i'm sorry but these guys, uh, I have to send them home. They are <laughs> <They're> done. <laughs> they are done. <laughs> they quit. <laughs> they quit. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think, I think I don't know, what I have in my apartment is around 8,000, I would say, something yeah. like this. And, um, but do you buy digital music as well these days or not at all? Uh, yes and no. Since Bandcamp a bit more and every now and then I have to say um, I was surprised also when I was checking um, by the stuff that you can even find on Beatport sometimes, you know, I mean like some some really cool stuff that well, vinyl was a bit like too pricey, you know, yeah. or, or hard to get. Yeah. And then I was checking and <laughs> it was for two euros on Beatport, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's the same. I think when you know what you're looking for, like, let's let's say at one point, okay, you check for stuff from Mr. G and you just check all the stuff from him that's on Beatport and there's a lot. Or if you, if, I think Beatport's not if you just go there and just look what's what's new in the in the hot charts, okay, then no. <laughs> forget about it. No, it is But if not. you if you have a starting point no, and you no. know what you're looking mm. for, I mean, mm. you can find stuff for sure. And what is also good, what I really like, <laughs> even in YouTube, is like the algorithm, you yeah. know, it's like you feed it yeah. with something and then you get like these, these uh, suggestions um, or proposals, you know, like users that like liked this, they also like this, <laughs> you know, really stupid. But then uh, um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Also, the stuff that I found on YouTube, I mean, not particularly for electronic club music, but listening music wise i was like blown away several times and it gave me so many suggestions i was like wow where's yeah. this stuff coming from you know 
For me, it's the same. That's, that's one thing that I really like about Spotify. I think there the algorithm is like actually really, really good. If you mm-hmm. like, if you look for an artist and then other artists in like the same direction, it works pretty good. And I found like so much nice stuff. Also more listening stuff. I mean, I mm-hmm. just go to Spotify for more for music that you would listen to at home. But yeah, they're, they're mm-hmm. pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. I would like to talk about, I mean, you come from the time where... Even me, I'm a little bit younger, but I remember that back in the days I would like travel to Mannheim to a rave to a party because I knew there was a certain DJ that would play one track that I heard maybe once. I was like, okay, if it's this track, maybe you knew the name or whatever, but it was like coming out uh, two years later or whatever. And you know, okay, if you want to hear this track Drum and bass wise, you mean? Yeah, drum bass wise, but mm-hmm. I, I guess it was a little bit the same. What I, what I want to say is music was not accessible as now. There was no YouTube, there was no nothing. You, you could go to the record shop and say, yeah, there's this record and maybe sing and or tell, yeah. yes, when played this, like last, whatever. Mm-hmm. But do you think that, I mean, the value of music changed? That's for sure, I think, because back in the days, I mean, if you, if you want to have music, you had to pay for it. And just now with the internet, it came like the technology was faster than people like putting up the infrastructure so you can buy music digitally. So for sure, the value is not the same because now for some people, even 10 euros per month for Spotify is like, well, why should I pay that music? People are not used to it. That music mm. is actually something that costs money and also it takes a lot of money to make. So do you think that the value in, in general changed Mm, i'm not so sure about this because still i think there's a lot of because also when i'm talking for example to to people that are running like a distribution because i was also like especially now with all the with all the situation that we are in now you know like with corona and this and that and and you don't really know how things are going to develop it is uncertain kind of feeling you know and I thought, wow, for sure, this is gonna this is gonna affect the the vinyl sales very hard, you know. And and then in the end, I was talking to like some friends that are running distributions and stuff, and they said, well, actually, the sales are not really going down, you know. Okay, but we we have to. It it, I mean, we have to we have to separate maybe in in collectors. Um, and in people that are buying this for for playing it on the for for work basically yeah so um i yeah i'm not i'm not so sure um i think there's still quite a big uh, uh demand for vinyl you know maybe even from people that are not particularly dj's mm. because most of the dj's at some point, they also become very lazy, you know? They think like, oh, wow, anyway, I get all my promos and this and that, and everybody's sending me everything, and, and then they stop, like, looking for music. And I think this is also not so good, you know? I mean, of course, what I what I also, I have to be honest, with a certain age, things kind of put themselves into place, you know? And you just realize that anyway you have so much music already you know and the good thing is um, what i'm always saying i think i'm always saying this is like you can you can give 10 or 15 records to 10 different people the same records 
and everybody's going to make something different with it, more or less, yeah. you know. So um, I think in the in the very end, it really depends of the it really depends of the the person, you know, what the. Per so I think the person also is kind of bringing the value a little bit into it, you know. For sure. Into this thing, because either you make it like really passionate and it comes like straight from the heart, or anyways you just make it because either um yeah you earn a lot of money with it or i don't know you became like very very um popular or very trendy in in your style and so yeah. um but with the vinyl sales i mean we have to be honest with this that if we say now the record sells good it sells 500 Whereas, like, even in 2007, it would sell 5,000. Yeah, and in but in 97, it would sell this, this is, 8,000. This is, yeah, this is normal. Yeah, and and so, <laughs> so in in the peak in the in the peak of some records of the of the late 90s or mid 90s, even like some, mm, I don't know some Adam Bayer on drum code, they sold like 30,000 copies yeah, or something. Exactly. So, or, I mean, or, 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 so, or something like this. But this is also normal because look how it was at that time. Okay, there also was a lot of labels, but nowadays it's like there's so many labels. Every basically club or bar is running a label, <laughs> you know, and a sub-label for... For deep house, you know, <laughs> and stuff <laughs> and stuff like this. So um, you also always have to put it a bit in in, in relation, I think. And um, it's just, of course, the the cake is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And new people are coming up, new labels are coming up, new styles of music are coming up. Anyway. Um, life is so fast these days with this non-stop flow of of information that we always receive, you know. So um, I think actually something like music really still has, has quite a big value. The only problem is like nowadays um, to really stand out, uh, you really have to make a big effort because um, especially nowadays with the younger generation, they, um, they have taken this, this digging thing really like to a next level. And um, I can also understand it, you know, because it's, it's important to, to find your style and to, to be individual, you know. But recently, for example, um, I was discussing the same topic with uh, Roman, Flügel, we, yeah. we met since quite a long time yeah. and um, we we both agreed then on that um, if it's only like being exclusive or individual for the sake of being individual is also really not like what it's about, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh -huh. I mean, we also talked about this. Of course, you have to look for music and you have to find special records but I also think if you play 20 super special records in a row they kind of erase each other and the flow is as, as le at least as important maybe even more important than to have like the, than the selection I don't know of course the music mm. is the most important thing but you cannot play 
three hours of super crazy special records. At one point, I also think it gets too much information. You like <laughs> you kind of you you lose you lose interest because mm. if it's like another crazy break, another crazy melody, and everything. No, no, it's too much information at some point. And I mean, you also need kind of like I don't want to say boring records, but like neutral records in a way, you know, to to make other records stand out much more, you know. I think and. Um, Yeah, sometimes I, um, I mean, I can understand it. Individuality is, or being individual is for sure like one of the highest aims these days, you know, or, or for like younger people maybe. Um, but I think it's also, it also comes with a certain amount of sharing, bringing people together, um, sharing the music, sharing the moment stuff like this yeah let's talk about social media for a while <laughs> <laughs> my favorite topic <laughs> me Because, as a social media expert <laughs> yeah, I mean we, I can call you a social media guru I think <laughs> so you come from a time where social media was like yeah. not not um, a thing no. and um, but you you found your way to Instagram I think it was last year or something yeah or? I was convinced by someone uh I, can we say, I, can know, we say I, by I'm who? Not, no, I'm not allowed. No? Okay. I'm definitely Sorry, not, guys. <laughs> definitely not allowed. Uh, uh, someone convinced me, uh, uh, actually, and I thought, okay, if this guy <laughs> is telling me you really need to do it, okay, then, then I think I really need to do it. It know? was not Ricardo, guys, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I mean, and, and it, was, it was funny. I mean... It started with the, what was the first thing? MySpace, you know, I completely ignored it, you know. And then Facebook, I remember I was, I was traveling, actually, I was in Argentina, like totally bored at, at a friend's house, you know, and, and I kept on receiving like invitations and like from all these friends. And I was like, what the fuck is this, you know, and, <laughs> and, and I, I, I registered myself quite early, actually, for Facebook. And then came this wave with the with the artist profiles, and then everybody started with the artist profiles, and I was like, ah, what's this shit? Fuck this! I don't know. I need another page, and this, and I have a web page with my label. Um, I have a Facebook page already. Now an artist page, a Facebook page with the label. You know, so at some point I was like, hey, what is this? You know, and then of course I also missed my point of like getting a proper Facebook profile um, because I started really, really late. And <clears throat> at this time, they <laughs> they changed the, the algorithm already, you yeah. know, because in the beginning it was, it was quite open, you know, but then when they came up with like this paying shit, you know, then they really changed it and they really, really took it down your range, you know. Yeah. So because they wanted people to pay for it in the end you know and i never paid for for anything there yeah. then instagram came up the same thing the same arguments everybody was like yeah you you have to do it and 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 then i mean you know it you know because we have our proper laughing sessions with instagram <laughs> watching some of our friends colleagues whatever yeah um with this with this huge pressure of creating content you know this this word already or this phrase you know like creating content i mean um it's like it's such a pressure and 
all the guys that are like really, really big in this with the huge amounts of followers and stuff like this, in case it's not a company that it's doing for them, you know, professionally, um, is like two, three hours of work a day. You know, if you make like a cool video, checking the time when you get there, when you have the best range, this and that. And, and, and uh, I'm not so much into this, but um, I, I have another friend that is like, <laughs> that is quite into it, you know, and, and then he's like always like following this younger generation of like artists that are very good with this, you know. And then he also always like tells me, you know, and ah, look and how they do it and this and that. And, but in the end, I'm not so sure. Also now, I, uh, yeah, okay, at some point I also feel sorry a bit for, for my, my followers or, or the people that are like interested in what I'm doing. But to be honest, I really don't see the point of overexposing myself in a period like right now we find ourselves in. I mean, everybody has his private issues and packages to, to solve and to carry, you know. And then like overexposing yourself on, on Instagram, you know, with some nonsense in the end, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't see, yeah. I don't see the point of it, you know, not, not really. Then rather post something either funny or maybe like positive in a way or, or something like this. And also not like get your midlife midlife crisis on facebook and share it with <laughs> share it, <laughs> share with, it the, with the world <laughs> share it with the world you know like and i don't know it's yeah for me also i mean i think you can tell that for some or for many people it doesn't come naturally to do it and it just seems to be really really forced play and it makes me It mm. makes me feel bad. It's like, why, mm. why are you doing this? Please mm. just... And I'm not sure if it's really that helpful to post another video of yourself in the studio. In the studio, no. I mean, studio, studio videos in general. I mean, why are you in the studio? To make music or to take a video? <laughs> I don't know. Pretty simple answer, I think. <laughs> At least if you go to the studio to make music. Uh, so uh, I would never come up with the idea of like getting out my camera and like, hey, now here. I mean, every now and then if a friend wants to do it in the studio, whatever, okay. I'm, it, I'm, can, it can be nice, but it, like with everything, it's a balance, I think. If, if you just yeah. see like every dance, like, oh, okay. Yeah, or you see someone, you see someone like basically like, Every second day, there's a video from the studio, and then you are like, "Okay, but where's the music?" You know, <laughs> and then it's like, mm, "Okay, maybe he's too busy, like taking videos or something." Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And I, I think it is as you said. I mean, I don't want to criticize. Everybody has to find his or her formula in this environment, you know. But either you are this kind of um, influencer. Yeah. Not influencer. <laughs> no, but you have like it comes naturally to present yourself like, in uh, a way. Is the English word ex exhibitionist? Is it is it the English yeah, word? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'm not sure. Like uh, either you either you like to propose yourself to public, or you like to present yourself in public, or either you don't like it, and then maybe when you are not so good at it then maybe take it a bit more easy, you know, with your <laughs> posts. I, th I think, you know, judging from, from my perception. 
And also, this was very funny when this when this whole Corona thing started, you know, especially like a lot of DJs that were like really in this <laughs> yeah. Instagram loop, you know, all of a sudden, like, fuck, what am I doing? You know, it's like, oh, shit, I don't, I, I cannot create any content, you know, and then, <laughs> and then they all came up with the same rubbish, you know, either it was like, um, yeah, memories from better times, you know, <laughs> or uh, how I miss, how I miss the party or how I miss this or how I miss that. Yeah. Okay, man. It's cool. We all miss the parties. And I think we, we all have the, the same feelings regarding this. Um, so then either maybe use your brain a little bit more and, and try to, to find something else that maybe, that maybe people are thinking about or that people can, can draw out something for themselves, you know, in, in some way. Instead of just repeating this formula over and over again because somebody established it at some point. I, yeah, I think it's exactly as you said. People feel a pressure to create content. But where is this pressure coming from? Just because like, okay, if you're not on Instagram, people will not see you. Okay, maybe. But also this you can discuss because... Let's, if we have a look at most of the Romanian DJs, even the one that are playing like a lot, none of them even has, uh, them. some of them have an Instagram profile, they post like some pictures of a flower every once a month mm -hmm. and that's it. So you can also discuss if you really need to do this. Besides and this, all this new generation, I mean, okay, not from the younger ones, but uh, uh, also there's, uh, there's, um, there's a lot of DJs that are completely ignoring this, you know. Yeah, like so. take Nicolas Lutz for example you know uh, yeah. <laughs> I think very good example and also uh, this is like in the in the tradition of of how Zip or Ricardo or other people are approaching this or have been approaching this in the past and I mean of course these are like outstanding artists and for sure not like role models and to establish yourself um As a DJ like them, um, you really you really need a lot of talent and, and yeah. effort and, yeah. <laughs> and and several things, you know. Um, so, um, but it's also possible to survive in this surrounding without it, you know. I mean, now you will say like, hey, but Ricardo has a Instagram and he has. A <laughs> yeah. None of the two is done by himself, you know, and. Yeah. Um, Zip is completely ignoring it, other DJs as well. So. Yeah, I mean, like, as you said, these, these two are like, I think they stand for themselves because they're really in the, in the league of their own somehow. But as you said, like Lutz, he's like, I mean, of course, he's also around for many, many years, but I think he really had a break within the last years, especially. His breakthrough, I mean, he's, a, he's, DJ, he's a DJ since for, forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but he's ignoring it and it, it, it can work. You, you just, you said, I mean, we talk about this um, in private a lot. You said one of my favorite things, and that is like, just because you have the technical possibilities to film yourself and, <laughs> and upload it to the internet, it doesn't mean you have to do it. Just because... Yeah. No, no, it's no, like, it's, it's another quote. It's another quote. It's, it's so funny. I, I, I'm not sure if I will get it together, but it's like, it was basically like, you're not a critic, you're not an artist, you're not a writer, you're not a philosopher, you just have internet access, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I think, and I think this this pretty much sums it up, you know? 
and also <clears throat> especially especially in this corona days in the first wave of the lockdown and it was so hardcore for me that at some point i said like i need a break i'm i'm not going on facebook anymore because this is nuts this uh. is insane what people are posting there like conspiracy theories and this and that and and like funny shit i was like wow do, do they really think this this is happening or or are they serious you know and and just because it's like yeah but look here it's on google ah okay so <laughs> then it's your reality if it's on google or what <laughs> you know, yeah, the funny thing is that many of these people say like yeah the mass media is all like is bullshit but then it's like okay but where do you have your information from and then it's like <laughs> something yeah. like youtube google crazymind.org or something <laughs> yeah. it's like ah, okay yeah i'm sure that's legit I mean, yeah. <laughs> all, the, all the big newspapers everything is like fake yeah. and like this weirdo guy he knows for sure yeah um let's talk a little bit about the label you're running raummusik mm -hmm. this label was founded when it was founded actually in 1998 22 years ago and it was founded by Olaf Zern, my partner, and by Peter Armster. But um, Peter, he, he left the label after two years, I think. And then uh, I joined the label first as an artist and then Olaf, who was also one of the owners at Freebase Records, where we all were working together, um, He offered me he offered me the job there and then more and more I, I took over like the A&R part and then at some point he even offered me like a partnership yeah like becoming his partner for the label and then I was yeah okay let's do it yeah and so I am running the label now since 2001 I'm working for Raw Music so yeah 19 years now 19 years mm -hmm. And, um, But the label is existing since 22 years. We had our 20-year anniversary in 2018, uh, so 22 years now. And is everything is available digital also? or No, we, no. no, because the old stuff is really like gone. Yeah, We don't have the dots, I think, basically, yeah. <laughs> because most of the stuff for sure is on that. Which I think is also cool in some way. So it's like, if you want any of the first 40 or 45 records, then you have to get on Discogs. Yeah. You can to find it there. And um, the other stuff, after, because we were quite early um, with joining Beatport at that time, because it was... Um, Somebody working at Kanzleramt, I think Ronnie was his name, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, he, he started this and he got us, uh, he got us on, on board with, uh, with Beatport, like from the, from the early, quite the early days. Yeah. What we did now recently, um, because of course we were also like going back and forth, you know, being a vinyl only label, this and that. But also this vinyl-only aspect 
Um, I changed a little bit later with like touring more and also going to other countries like South America or other places where people just don't have access so much to vinyl, you know. And then you going there for playing and then saying, yeah, I come from Germany and I run this exclusive vinyl label, you know, we are vinyl only. It's, I think, very snobby, you know, because you, you are excluding a lot of people from your work and from your music, you know, and, and why? Just that, like, the 300 gold diggers from Europe, they have the record, you know, um, I don't know. I think in the end, you should always try to reach as much people as you can with what you are doing, you know. I mean, I'm not talking about the charts, you know, but um, there's something in between. But also, um, you should think of your range, as a DJ that or, or of arranged that people that you can reach with with your work you know because in the end if uh, you're always playing for the 200 hardcore insiders you know <laughs> then I don't know <laughs> also what's what's your purpose then at some point you know yeah I totally agree that um, music should be accessible for everyone and there are many places in the world They don't have a record shop and even all the economical situation will not allow them to buy as much records. Especially as now, especially nowadays. I was talking also with Franco Sinelli, you know, and, and we were having like this, this, um, we were having like a, like a conversation and, and he was really like worried, you know, about the vinyl sales. And I mean, for them, they are so far away from everything, you know, and then like being in this situation now, not having work not having a record shop, not having the, the infrastructure that we have here, you know, uh, uh, with, with, our, with our scene. Um, and for them it was, and then when I told him, like also what, what I said before, that distributions are like saying, no, the, the vinyl is still selling and, and um, people are still buying records. Uh, he was like really relieved, you know, he was like, oh, wow, so I'm happy about the news or what you told yeah. me. And so... I think it's it's really not so cool and, and that these people also should have access to music if they like it. Huh? Um, I would like to get to some Instagram questions that people ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at us. <laughs> yeah. So... We skipped the one from Toby Neumann. Sorry, Toby, no information. <laughs> Who inspired you the most in the beginning of your career and why? Asks André Obre. In the beginning of my career, well, in the, in the very beginning, um, like I said before, for sure it was the guys from PCP because also they gave me like the first access to the music. And then later on, I would definitely also have to mention... Sven Fed before I, I met Ricardo and we also became like more friends and started hanging out. So like over the mid 90s until the end of the 90s, early 2000, um, definitely Sven was also a big influence for me, you know, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I always was... Um, going to other places, um, watching DJs, traveling to other cities and going to parties. And 
Another big reference for me definitely was my, my time when I went to Amsterdam for clubbing. was at the Roxy some, with some friends of mine. And uh, Dimitri was, was the DJ there. And uh, I still have to say, until this day today, um, he really left, left a big impression and inspiration on, on my on my DJing because he was so versatile also and they were also like playing this like Dutch house you know like like work and fresh fruit and and like all this a bit more happy kind of like uplifting yeah. grooves you know but then also he was playing like some some green velvet some this Dave Angel Carl Craig remix without any drums and stuff like this yeah. but mixed to a perfection in the club like I, I never, never witnessed like this. I think so. Yeah, this. I mean, this. This definitely would be some DJs that that I would uh, that I would name here is for sure. Sven, um, Ricardo, definitely, and uh, Dimitri from Amsterdam. Okay, uh, and Laurent Garnier, of course. Yeah, I also have to mention him. Um, another question from Andre. What advice do you have for young selectors? For young selectors? Um, try to find your own um, language, I would say. I don't want to say style. Style sounds so a bit like... <laughs> but just try to find your own way of playing music inside this field that you find yourself in this this i would this i would say and and also really try to to do it from the heart i think uh. okay even another one from andre how do you think how music has developed from the initial vision that you had in 1999 Okay, 1999. You were not involved yet. No, in the very in the very beginning, it was um, kind of like a basic channel sound related label. They were doing like lots of dub inspired stuff. Yeah. All the first artists they were like really into this dub thing. I was also a huge follower of this of this dub sound for some time, <clears throat> but the more I got into it. At some point, just talking for myself, I don't want to judge anything. Everybody uh, <laughs> needs to decide for themselves. But for myself, I really had the impression, okay, um, if you play a basic channel record or if you play a Maurizio record or something like this, then this is this sound, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I don't need like one million adaptions of of a Maurizio record, you know, or of of something that's sounding like chain reaction or, or ah. because the guys did it that's this sound it's the the blueprint trademark sound for this sound and then <clears throat> i think it's also good to to either play the originals um or then at some point i just stopped buying this i mean i still have 60, 80, 90 records from this just particular style. Yeah. But um, I, for myself, I, I stopped at some point. And then uh, Raumusik, over the years, it developed from this 
moment to more like this wave of German minimal, I would say. This was also really popular. Our record sales were crazy. In Chupacabra and stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, this, this was this was even a bit later when <laughs> yeah. when we got more into the into the housey into the housey direction. And um, yeah, I think it's it was always evolving a bit, but still nowadays, if if I listen to to some of the records we we do today, I still can find some some similarities um, from the feeling or from the vibe to to the older records that we released, to the very first stuff that we put out. Yeah. Okay, then we have a question from Hashmat from Offenbach. <laughs> Is the brother Yugoslavian or Albanish? <laughs> <laughs> None of the two. <laughs> no, no, I'm uh, part partly Croatian. My father was from Croatia and my mother uh, is from Germany. And um, yeah, but I'm born in Frankfurt and I grew up in Frankfurt. So I'm German. <laughs> okay, we have a question from Valito. Ask him how he likes Coronita with Limon. <laughs> <laughs> you see, we're, we're open. We ask the questions, you know. Social media is important to us, yeah, guys. We don't only, com only coming from our friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> from from Valito, uh, yeah, the answer would be um, una cerveza sin limon. <laughs> Because uh, uh, I, I, uh, I really don't like this. And the last time I was playing there, Then I always ordered the beer, but and I told him, hey, but please don't tell him because in the Corona, they are not the coronavirus, the Corona beer <laughs> was was before was before coronavirus uh, because they always put this lime in in the in the top of the of the bottle. Yeah, and um, really but actually, actually, then he explained me why, or so, I think on my last trip, actually, they told me. Is not like because they like to that you squeeze the lime into the into the beer or something like this. They they use it to for disinfection. Yeah. So it's just to clean yeah. the bottle, and this is why they did it in Mexico, you know. And then like all the <laughs> all the people here, ah, oh, yeah, cool, the beer with <laughs> with lime, you know. And they squeeze like half the, half of the lime into the beer. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm proper. German with that. I totally squeeze my lime into the Corona and I love it, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> yeah guys, sorry. Which one is your favorite mixer, asks Nitzel. My favorite mixer? Well, with a proper sound system, I would definitely have to say it's the Rain, the old one. Uh, what's the model name? You have it, actually, no? Um, 16 something. I would have to have a look. I'm really horrible with numbers yeah. but yeah it's the first the old one not the new digital one but yeah. the nice old one with the two units basically so one unit is just like the EQ and the other unit is um what's the other part of the mixer it's like the the gain and and stuff yeah, like it's, it's exactly the, it's the gain and the EQs and other one's just a line uh, basically yeah and, line yeah. and you can add the um, isolator yeah. but I was never such a big fan of of isolator yeah. yeah but if a DJ is using this really good 
can be nice. Can yeah. be nice. Atta had some funny tricks with this, yeah, you know, yeah. I remember. Yeah, for me it's the same. I just really like how you can you can have two tracks at the same time and I think this is where you can tell how good a mixer is if you have two tracks playing, even with a little bit of bass in and you, they're still very present, then mm. I think that's always a good strong sign. Also the EQs are just, a, they just sound incredible to me. So we agree. That's also my favorite mixer. Even if nobody asked, I'm still telling you. <laughs> so we have another question from Henny. 111 releases on Raumusik and only three releases from you as a producer. How, why is that? Why is that? <laughs> well, asks. Um, in the first place, of course, because I consider myself more a DJ than a producer. And also, um, yes, it's my label, but um, I'm not so much into self-promotion. So I always saw it more like as a chance to um, to give a possibility to my friends. And since I always had like a lot of friends that that were um, producing music or that are also really good producers, um, I think it was yeah more like that. I had the feeling that my stuff is not like good enough to 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 match with it or, or to and so okay now over the last couple of years I got a bit more into into um, producing and now I can I, I really enjoy it and now I also like the results more of what I'm doing yeah so I get a bit more confident about my my own things you know so you're working a lot in the studio at the moment or more or well <sighs> At home, mostly I do remixes, you know, also like my studio setup at home is like uh, pretty basic, you know, I don't have so much stuff, you know, just a few things. And, um, but I'm working with other friends and um, with Toby, for example, sometimes or with uh, Philippe, we've been collecting now um, quite a few tracks and we still continue doing, yeah. doing some new stuff. Not without any ambition. More at the moment, it's just more like making the tracks, collecting them, and then see. and then see what <clears throat> see how it goes. But um, especially over the last couple of months, where I was not able to play or to travel, um, this gave me much more joy, and I could I could enjoy it much more than buying records going home <laughs> and then listening to the records and then noticing that I rather get frustrated than it gives me the sensation than I, that it gave me before when I was checking records because, um, I don't know, then it's like you're listening to the records and then it's like, okay, but where I'm going to play them, <laughs> when I'm going to play them, so why did I actually buy this record, you know? <laughs> it's like, so at some point I always felt a bit stupid, you know, in a way. Um, but also it's it's changing now. Maybe it was also for for my for some private reasons, you know, um, that I was not getting so much out of this. So I really focused more on making music over yeah. the last couple of months because I really can get something out from this yeah. you know it gives me much more satisfaction or pleasure than 
than being at home and listening to records that anyway I will not be able to play at least for another another few months. Uh. Yeah. And um, how did um, the whole Corona thing affect you? Or let's let's say, how do you see the the future? What do you think? <laughs> any any ideas? That's that's really a tough question. Um, I mean, in general, <clears throat> I always try to to look a bit more on the bright side of things, <laughs> but also, also this has changed. <laughs> 2020 is not making it easy for people looking on the bright side. Yeah. 2020 was, was quite a bummer. <laughs> so, so, so far, you know, so now I have to say, um, of course it affected me quite hard for various reasons, you know, mainly the main reason of course being work and not being able to live my life anymore um, like before I mean I'm living in a reversed life at the moment you know imagine usually I go out almost every weekend um, minimum for one gig you know and now I'm in Berlin since end of February yeah uh, without a pause I, I've never been that long in Berlin at one point. I mean, it's also cool because I'm not from Berlin originally and I really like the city and there's always something to discover, especially if you go out from the area where you are living in, which most people don't do, but um, <laughs> there you can, um, you can really discover quite a few things, you know, and the city has a lot to offer. And um, so I wouldn't say that I'm bored, But it's very hard if you are doing something because, I mean, I started DJing 28 years ago. Mm. And since almost 15 years, I was only living basically from my DJing. And um, then all of a sudden it's like you don't even know when, um, when you will be able to fly again. If the airlines that you used to fly with, they will still exist in six months from now. Um, and I mean, this is, of course, for somebody like me that is also playing more like outside of, of Germany yeah, or, yeah. or that is used to, to, to traveling or to flying a lot, um, is really like... Yeah, it's really a big change uh, and you really need to restructure your life, I think. Uh, yeah. Because otherwise, uh, yeah, what you can do, you play a stream, <laughs> you make a podcast, <laughs> you make another stream, another podcast, you know, and then uh, you go to the studio, you make a video for Instagram and uh, <laughs> then the day is over, you know. <laughs> so, so I think it's a very good moment actually to either maybe learn something or, or like work on some some skills or some stuff that you usually wouldn't do. Yeah? Yeah. Either this could be maybe if until now you were not able to to go to the studio so much, maybe this could be a good moment to, to go more to the studio or get to, to get more familiar with the with the studio work or if you are interested in languages stuff like this great moment 
uh, to learn a language for all the English-speaking friends that, <laughs> that live in Berlin. And now is your chance, guys. <laughs> now you can do it. You can. 16 years in Berlin. Now is your chance. Now guys. is your moment. Come on, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> no, that, that's a bit nasty because learning German is really like tough. Yeah, uh, depending on where you come from, is probably equivalent to or the same to to like for us learning mandarin yeah but come on even our friend kazu i mean you can tell if guys friends from us they're coming from the uk america or somewhere german to learn german sucks but when i see my friend kazu for him to speak a german sentence it's actually body pain that you like to you can see how the brain is like trying to make this german sentence and you can see it's it's yeah, really painful but yeah, even but even yeah. he speaks some german now after yeah, just a yeah, short but amount I, of time, i have so. i have a lot of respect for for, I have, for that's this what I'm saying. because He's, he he can do it i think other people should take him because as an example hey also, kazu yeah, because <laughs> i think berlin makes it really easy for you to survive with only talking english and go to any other given country in the world and try not to speak the local language. Mm -hmm. Good luck. I wish you good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we have to be honest, Berlin sucks to learn German, that's for sure. I mean, even here in my restaurant in the house, they don't speak German. So, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Doria, that was really nice to have you here thank you the hour went away like wow in the beginning years. in the beginning i was a bit like oh wow One hour, shit. <laughs> and then in the end now now we, we really got into it and i feel like let's talk another hour you know but uh 